Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, you're in for a real treat this episode. We're talking Buddhism and mindfulness with my beautiful friend and mindfulness guru, Charlotte Therap. Hey, Charlotte. Hi, darling. <laughs> so if you listen to Hey Soul Sister, you know that pretty much nearly every episode of Hey Soul Sister podcast, I refer to my mindfulness guru, Charlotte. And she is in here today. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. I feel totally um, overrated. <laughs> and I also think, oh, wow, I'm talking about Buddhism, you know. It'll be so inadequate what I have, but perhaps it's still useful in terms of, you know, I'm not a scholar in this, but I have my journey with it. So hopefully people will feel, you know, some use of it. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, yeah. And, and the good thing about Buddhism, it, it kind of morphs of, around where it goes. So yeah. thank you for that very generous introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to back up my statement about Shaletta being a mindfulness guru um, with the actual her background and qualifications just in case you don't necessarily believe what I'm saying. No, so, so Charlotte actually is an international speaker and, and expert in mindfulness. So she founded the Mindfulness Clinic. How long ago was that now you you founded the Mindfulness Clinic? Well, I, I went from a company called Creative Transformation to the, where I was then doing more and more mindfulness. So, you know, and, I, and that was really founded about 15 years ago by the Mindfulness Clinic, I think about eight or something. Yeah. And so you hold mindfulness retreats yes. around the world. Yes. Yes. Which, of which I've been to one of them in Bali. It was yeah. amazing. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they're lovely. There's mm-hmm. none of that going on right now. No. <laughs> During the crazy, crazy COVID times. Um, And now, Charlotte, you've also set up the mindfulness component of the unit or subject of the um, in the MBA MBA at Newcastle University. Yeah, so um, the foundational module now of the Newcastle Executive MBA. Excuse me, Mel. Sorry, (laughs) Executive MBA. Yeah, that that, and I suppose it's it's different to a classic MBA because it's really a very new, fresh take on leadership, and that's I suppose why they have been open to the mindfulness. So we do the first four days actually uh, on mindful leadership, and the feedback is from everybody. Oh wow, this is is what I only wish I had learned much earlier and how good is this and then later people say I don't know how I would have gotten through this time without it so it's so it's so wonderful to be able to facilitate and work with something that so resonates with people yes and you first introduced me to mindfulness oh, it must have been probably about seven or eight years ago now I was at a workshop with our dear friend Alexandria Joy and I remember I didn't really know what mindfulness was but you got us to do an exercise where we had to eat a lint ball in our mouths and think about what that felt like what that tasted like and really be in the moment Mm -hmm. be really present with that Mm -hmm. and um, 
and it was the best exercise because I really got it. I was like, how often right. do I shovel food in my mouth? Yes. And I don't even think about it. I'm looking at my phone or watching TV or, you know, thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But to actually make someone like stop and what does this feel like? What does this taste like? I was like, it was a light bulb moment. This is mindfulness, mm-hmm. being present and being in the moment. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. There you go. See, mm-hmm. that was the beginning of my mindfulness journey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With lint chocolate. What a good start. <laughs> well, it totally worked. <laughs> okay, so I've asked beautiful Charlotta in here today to actually talk to us a bit about Buddhism and Buddhism for beginners because mindfulness comes from Buddhism, is that right? That's right. Yes, and we all hear, I suppose, Buddhism thrown around and, and the, you know, mindfulness and meditation thrown around, but I'm like, actually want to get into the core of what it is because mm-hmm. it's a real way of life. Is yeah, that right? Yes. Spiritual yeah. practice. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I suppose I I came to it because I thought that what I was how I was working could be better. I had, you know, listened to Eckhart Tolle and various other spiritual teachers and I was brought up Christian and then I had this kind of also very, you know, rigorous Scandinavian critical thinking thing. And when I came to Buddhism, I went, oh, wow, that kind of integrates them all in a really amazing thing um, way and now of course I'm sitting here I'm thinking yeah well that's not surprising it was just my ignorance that amazed me (laughs) (laughs) so so Buddhism really is about you know 2600 years old and I actually just found out something absolutely fascinating and that is that there was a lot of trade going on with Rome at the time so actually Buddhism probably affected Jesus I didn't know that um yeah, which, which is really, really interesting. Anyway, so the Buddha, the word Buddha means awakened one. So Bud means to awaken. So um, the thing that's very different in Buddhism compared to other religions is that there's no God per se. Mm-hmm. There is no, and so in that way, it's not really a religion. It's more a science of how, of the mind, if you like, and how do we bring on through some practices and insight Uh, calm and contentment and less damage for ourselves others and the planet so that means the buddha is not a god he was the awakened one who could then tell us hey guys this is how it is right and he was also a bit of a list person so there are lots and lots of kind of headings and then the three parts to this, the four parts to this, the eight parts to this da 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 and um and that's really useful and the interesting thing of course is and again, not surprising, that is just as relevant now as it was 2,600 years ago. Right? Yeah. So he was a prince originally and he saw suffering in the world. This is my recollection of the story. And then right. he sat under a tree for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, right. And became enlightened. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I know that. <laughs> yeah, you know, to be honest, yeah. nothing was written down till a couple of hundred years after he died. So there are quite a few different stories um, but most of them smell a little bit of that mm-hmm. uh, and that he was very privileged he he, he, he um, then saw death he saw illness he saw aging and he said to his father I'm going to leave unless you can promise me that none of this re- will relate to me and of course his father said well I can't promise you that so he then kind of starved himself um, so out of that a starvation process and realizing he didn't become enlightened through kind of depriving himself but once he started to get gain a bit of health then 
all of a sudden he awakened. It wasn't, of course, the, the food that did it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. rather, certainly he realized that, that denying yourself something doesn't bring it. That's why we have the middle way to say it's not about uh, overindulging and it's not about denying ourselves. The middle way is, you know, a wholesome uh, body um, functions best. So that's one of the principles and of Buddhism. Is, the middle is, way is, is in is everything. Is balance. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's right. And knowing that we'll never, it's not about hitting the, the middle way point, but it is about being aware of when we get pulled in either direction, if you like. Yeah. yeah. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. So possibly in terms, I'm just thinking, putting it out there in, in, in yeah. everyday terms. Yes. So it could be like in terms of eating. It's like, yes. okay, it's not best to overindulge. It's not best to starve yourself. Yes. The best is the middle way. Yeah, beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I suppose then it's around looking at all those different elements in your life and going, okay, well, when is too much? Yes. When is too little? Yes. And when is yeah. the middle? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so I love that because it's never been explained to me like that before. <laughs> right. It's giving me something to think about and go, okay, well, in all that, because I have a, okay, confession time. I'm such an overindulger in everything. If I, if like, something is great, I'm like, yeah, I need more of that. Yeah. And sometimes that's not great. Well, well, from a Buddhist mm. perspective, we'd, you know, that that's about, you know, easily we get attached and we get very enthusiastic. There's nothing wrong with enthusiasm as long as, as again, is a little bit measured and we're not, <laughs> you know, we don't get completely swept um, up in it for a long time. For a moment, of course, it's no problem. Yeah. But of what often happens then we get attached to, to things then unfolding in a certain way. And that's then what kind of backflips us, if you like, right? Yeah. We then, yeah. Um, so attachment is a huge, if you like, observation or principle that we humans kind of function in um, in a way our reactive self, if you like, is always in the state of grasping. We either want to avoid something or we want something. And in that space of, if you like, autopilot, there's no ease. Yeah. We're in the grips, if you like, of our survival selves. Um, and then from a Buddhist perspective would be about stilling those, about being aware of those and no longer, and kind of exiting, if you like, the prison of those, yeah. right? So you'll still get enthusiasm of going, oh, I'd love to do that. But can you, can you if you like, temper it with going, oh, I notice that lovely enthusiasm for doing that. And I will, I will do that, but with that attachment to mm-hmm. the exact outcome right yes because i've i've heard and, and possibly you have told me before like attach they say in buddhism attachment is the cause of suffering yes that's exactly right yeah yeah so i have a beautiful friend bell smith and um, and she talks about that and i love those conversations with her mm. is that she will talk about okay i'm trying not to be attached to that i'm not trying to be attached to the outcome of that whatever yeah. that might be for her. Yeah. yeah. And there are levels and levels and levels of attachment. Yeah. So there's, you know, attachment to the food, <laughs> to feeling good physically, yeah. right, and not feeling bad. There's attachment to being seen as clever, special, spiritual, as being somebody, right? Yes. And it's probably that more than anything that causes our suffering. Yeah. So if you're attached to going, I want to be seen a certain way, Yeah. and you don't, I guess, and interrupt me if you think that I'm not right. So if you're attached to being seen a certain way, but then you feel like you're not there yet, it causes the suffering. Yeah, but it's also relentless because at the very core of it, it's empty. 
Yeah. So you'll get the little thing of somebody going, oh, you're so special. But then it'll go, it's gone, right? So if we go back to kind of the three, if you like, so there's some very sort of strong principles of that are really based in observations of reality. And that's, I suppose, why I love it so much. Because you, when we hear these, we go, oh, yeah, that's how it is. So it's not a theory. There are no beliefs required because it is how it is, if you like. So the first one there is impermanence. The fact that everything changes all the time. Um, that, you know, if you're sitting and looking at your garden, you'll notice, oh, a leaf falls. Oh, the breeze just shakes that. If you notice the body, you'll notice different sensations arising all the time, right? You know that things change. You also know your mood change, your feelings change, your thoughts change, your relationship, everything changes. And in Buddhism, we often sort of hold up a cup and go, so it already has its death in it, if you like, its brokenness in it. So there's, there's that. Now, if we take that to the next step, we'll also have to go, there is no inherent it in anything. So that means that there is no core self. There's no separate soul. There's no separate you. There's the experience of that, but you are just a little organism that is emerging experientially. That's deep. <laughs> That's deep. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. when we start to get it in little glimpses, it's total liberation. Because the more self, the more suffering. The more I'm just a, oh, there comes the emerging of being this little being, not Charlotte Torrip, not somebody, but just, oh, there comes that visitor of tiredness, slightly annoyed or gratitude. There comes just those visitors. It is such a free space to be. So a few years ago, I watched the documentary, What the Bleep Do We Know? And mm -hmm. they talked in that documentary and, and again, this was a light bulb moment for me. They were talking about in life to be the observer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm guessing the way you're describing that is a similar thing. It's like, okay, so maybe don't get caught up in the self, but observe and yeah. be curious around yeah, that. That's right. That's right. Observe yeah. what it's like to be a human. I often give sort of the little analogy because I think it's actually quite a good one. And that's to say, you know, if you look at, at all life on this planet – we can see we can see that as if you like of the same matter. You know, th the other thing that we could talk about is you know this interdependence and interconnectedness. You know, the fact that you have stardust in your cells. You know, the fact that somebody told me the other day, if you take a teaspoon of of, of water and you swirled around the ocean, and you come back in a million years, and then you get the same teaspoon, of course not, um, and take another little bit of water, you'll have an atom from that original teaspoon. So in other words, everything is interconnected and everything goes through everything, if you like, right? So now I forgot what we were, where I was heading with that. Um, we were talking about the teaspoon and the atom impermanence. No, your question, what was um, that? What the bleep do we know being the observer? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so then being, being um, coming into this analogy of going, we are of the same matter, an ever-changing complex matter, right? If we, if we look at it from a perspective of snow, so we say, okay, so we are all little snowflakes, humans and animals, and they're all different, you know, and we have a slightly different expression, but all our matter is the same, isn't it? Hmm. It's water, yeah, right? So we are all of the same matter. We just have a slightly different expression and perspective, but we are much, 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 much more the same yeah. 
as we are different. Yeah. And so the more I identify with you seeing every little special sparkle on my little expression of being a snowflake, the more I'll suffer because it'll be relentless and I'll forget my sameness. I'll forget my humanity. I'll forget, oh, that's right. I mean, if somebody could write about it 2,600 years ago, all the feelings we had, and it's still relevant, we are the same, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So true. So impermanence, that's one of the principles yes. of Buddhism. What's another one? So impermanence that and no self. No self. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that, as we've already talked about, the grasping, that, that there is suffering. There is suffering because we humans and are in a state of wanting on or wanting to avoid. And, you know, the, the thing that's so fascinating about Buddhism is when you break it down to looking at science, you go, well, that principle is absolutely correct from biology, from neuroscience. Every cell, if you took a, a little cell and put it in a Petri dish, dish and you put a neutron on one side and toxin on another, the cell would move away from the toxin and move towards the nutrient. And so we have forgotten, I think, that we're just a bunch of cells and we do the same. Yep. But in that, there is no ease. When we're always, the Germans say, immer unterwegs, always on the way, away from or moving towards, there's no contentment, there's no ease. Yep. So that's where we then start to cultivate being functioning beyond just being a human and coming into being more conscious, more aware of what is beyond kind of our, what we've downloaded as what it means to be human. So does that then lead into mindfulness? So, so the, the mindfulness is the practice that we adopt to remind ourselves of this. Yes. But there's much more to it. I mean, there's yep. many more tools. For instance, there's something that every, everyone who studies a little bit of Buddhism will come upon, and that's the Four Noble Truths. Yep. And the Four Noble Truths goes, there is suffering, and we've already talked about that. Yep. <laughs> there is a reason for it, and the reason is that we're in the grips of grasping. There's a way out of it, and here you go. Okay. Right. So the here you go thing is the old eightfold path. Yep. And the eightfold path, I don't know, do you want me to go through just a few of those yeah, elements? Is absolutely. That because do you know what? I've heard of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, but I don't actually really know what they are. And I love the way you describe that. There are Four Noble Truths. Yes. And then the way that you um, live or so, so the is, four- is, the, is, the, is the Eightfold Path. Yeah, the, yeah. so there's a way out of suffering, yeah. and that is adhering to the Eightfold Path. Okay. Right? And so the Eightfold Path um, has sort of three categories. The first one is wisdom, um, and, and wisdom is really starts with the right view, so the right way of understanding things. And that's exactly what we just talked about, understanding impermanence, understanding no self, understanding our disposition to grasping, to being caught, if you like, in our humanness. So we're understanding that also the interper- uh, interconnectedness and imperfection. So that's the right perspective. And of course, that's when we're just academic, we go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But to live it, you know, when we walk out of here to kind of go, we would stumble or something, or somebody says something to go, oh, that's just that coming in and out, right? That's the art, right? To, to, to live it, not just have it as an intellectual knowing. So that's the first one, right view. The right, next one is right intention. And the intention there is for, for us to um, resist getting caught in the, um, in, 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 the, in the negative, if you like. And negative is not exactly the right, but um, the unhealthy mind states. And we know that from when the, the body contracts, like in hatred, in jealousy, and all of those sort of things. In rumination. For instance, exactly. And to cultivate the other. So the intention is, and also no harm. 
you know, goodwill. So those sort of principles, that's about intention. How do I want to show up here? I want to show up. I, I notice that I'm feeling annoyed, but can I still show up noticing that, but then still show up as being kind? Because that's my intention. I love that. Right? So, so that's the, the right view, right intention. Then comes morality. And, um, <laughs> Here we go. And you know, actually, it was, I think it's really interesting because the Buddha actually said there's a whole list of things that he rejected and he rejected religions or, or kind of frameworks, if you like, if they didn't have right morality. And isn't that interesting? Yeah. Right? So that, that dismisses quite a few elements of religion, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, so the first one there is right speech. And, you know, for a long time, I've tried to just work on that one because I think we can't do it all at once, right? And also, you know, there is, and I sort of just preface this with saying, you know, there is a deep appreciation and knowing within Buddhism that we are of Buddha nature. You know, it's not, we are perfect here, which does, you know, we, but So there's nothing to achieve per se, but there is an uncovering and a nurturing of our Buddha nature while we dial down the other. So right speech is then a way to remind ourselves, to prompt ourselves to, and it's, and, and, and it's so specific, it's so, you'd love it. It says, right speech, obtain from false, slanderous, divisive, harsh, and idle speech, which if we did that, we wouldn't say very much, right? And then there's a whole list of things like words. So, so words that we know to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, um, unendearing, and disagreeable to others, we don't say them. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a list, you know, but if, if it is unfactual, no, don't say it. Mm. If it's, uh, then there's one that says, if it's factual, true, beneficial, but unendearing, and disagreeable to others, that we, we have a sense of the proper time for saying them. <laughs> so it's very, very, I mean, you can kind of read this and you go, well, there we go. Right? Yeah. So that's right speech. Then there's right action. Yep. And that's, uh, that's about not harming things, um, not taking what's not yours, um, and no sexual misconduct. <laughs> <laughs> Define sexual misconduct. <laughs> that's okay, Dan. <laughs> well, I think anything is, uh, you know, in, in that context would be about not commodifying other human beings. Absolutely. Right? Trafficking and um, taking yes. advantage of people. Yes. Putting them in a situation that they don't feel comfortable. Yes. And not honouring yourself and your commitments. If you've yeah. committed in a relationship to be faithful, then that is what you do, right? Right livelihood. And I like this. This is very specific. You're not supposed to sell weapons. You're not supposed to be a butcher um, and uh, engage in slavery or intoxicants and drugs. So there you go, Mel. <laughs> Does that include Venos? <laughs> don't, fact, yeah, you can say. buy, but don't sell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? How specific it is and thinking it's so old, right? Do you know what? It really is because we, when we hear about Buddhism, again, we kind of hear about it more in a sense of it's about mindfulness meditation, but this is actually drilling down. And going, here yes. are some of the basic yes. Um, principles. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, um, I mean, Buddhism has morphed, and we can talk a little bit about the different kind of morphings, if you like. But right now, there is a risk that we do exactly what you just said. We kind of collapse Buddhism into just a little bit of breathing in a brown paper bag at mm. times when you need it and not touch with our fundamental framework in our culture, which is all about materialism and it's all about getting to the next and drive etc and it's the culture of course that's destroying us so irrespective of how much we blow in the bag and how much we breathe we're still going to be unwell 
right? So we have to look at the bigger picture as well. And that's what it offers, I think. Mm. So that was morality. Uh, yeah, that was morality. And then we get into concentration. And the first one there is right effort. And that's really about self-discipline. So it's really about going, okay, I noticed I didn't do my mindfulness training yesterday. I didn't notice I didn't walk. Now come back to that. You know, it's right. And so it's about um, abandoning all the wrong and harmful thoughts, words, and deeds. So it's an ongoing kind of inventory of, am I on the right track? Uh, you know, do I need to come back to my mindfulness training, you know, prevent the whole unwholesome that has not yet arisen and bring in the wholesome. So that's right concentration. And then we get right mindfulness. Oh. Yes. And I'd like to just, because I think this is such an extremely important point that is so misunderstood. And that is that for a long time, I thought, they've got the translation wrong. <laughs> because I thought that mind is actually thinkfulness. Yep. But it isn't. And I think we talked about that the other day. Because I remembered that in the Danish word, M-I-N-D-E, it actually means memory. And when I went back to the old Pali scripts, which is sort of some of the original uh, Buddhist writings, the word um, mind has been translated from the word memory. Mm. And memory in the Pali scripts again, being expressed in three different ways, as a body sensations, as feelings, and as thinking. So in effect, what we're noticing in mindfulness, we are noticing our reactive self. We're noticing our memory, if you like, yep. right? And our memory is based on every experience that's ever happened to us up to this point, right? Yep. So mindfulness is observing, if you like, our past, our humanness, right? And that's that awareness that we're we're cultivating. And then finally, right concentration, which is about um, going slightly deeper, but really being able to sustain your attention on things and being curious around what we call the five hindrances, if they are present at any given moment, the five hindrances for being at ease for meditating and the five hindrances come back to you know aversion which is I don't want that or I do want that uh, so those two basic things what we call so the next ones are about too much energy or not enough energy so restlessness is that kind of oh just the next I'll oh, just get get over get it over and done with or the opposite I'm kind of falling asleep and then doubt and there's big doubt and little doubt so big doubt is, oh, this won't work for me. I, I don't believe in the science that, that's, that supports this. Yep. And little doubt is, I can't do this. So those five are our five hindrances for coming into ease. So you can now already, I think, get a sense of how detailed and precise it is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. it, um, it actually, um, I, I, I know it's not the same as the Bible or... <clears throat> Oh, sorry, I know it's not the same as the Bible or the Torah, but um, you know, having those principles is that I suppose I was I was listening, thinking, okay, well, the Ten Commandments, and yeah. um, I don't know what it is in the Torah, but <laughs> but I guess there's like some sort of equivalent there, and really, mm -hmm. it's about how to live your life mm -hmm. and how to give yes. how to live a good life. Yes, yeah, yes, uh, it's how to live a good life, but it's also in Buddhism and you know about enlightenment. So it is also about transcending our humanness, if you like, to realizing uh, that we are um, of Buddha nature, if you like. And so even though Buddhism is not God-centric, yes. like other religions, it is a spiritual 
practice? Absolutely. I think, you know, we have probably divided things into, you know, is it spiritual or not spiritual? Because one could argue that as soon as we experience love, there's spiritual, there, there's the sameness. So if the sameness, the connectedness, the awe, the amazement is spirituality, absolutely, right? So I think it is, yes, it's deeply spiritual, but it's not necessarily focused on a God. Um, and, and, the, and the element of God kind of becomes irrelevant. You know, when I drown in the beauty of a flower, what's God got to do with it, right? Yeah. Support a sister and leave us a review whenever you listen to the podcast. So what's karma? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Oh, God, what's karma? Um, because we talk about karma. Karma yeah. is a term that is thrown around all the time and, know. You know, and, and really um, has been probably um, is used in a way that's actually not very spiritual or enlightened. It's like, yeah, karma's a bitch or karma's going to get you or you know mm, what I mean? But yeah. I go, that, so that's why I'm like, what, what actually is karma? Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a very – it's a good question. Um, th- I'll just say that there – there's a there's a there's a very um, well known Buddhist scholar called Stephen Batchelor, and he said, "Look, the Buddha actually, of course, if, saw things in a certain way, but he didn't dare kind of unpick everything that was going on in the culture at the time because then they might re- reject the whole package." So, for instance. Bachelor, according to Bachelor, and I totally agree with that, the Buddha would not have believed in reincarnation because. Um, if you there is no self, how can you be reincarnated? Right, doesn't work. There, there, and, and certainly with the spiritual, you know, those transcended experiences that I've had, we swim into an ocean of consciousness, and I dissolve. Right, so there is so, but so just saying, kind of that in that context. So there was a lot of, I suppose, Hindu um, ideas about karma um, at the time. So some of the principles are that there is a difference between intention and non-intention around karma. So, you know, if I accidentally sort of took one of those sticks and it poked into your eye, it's, it, it, I, it wouldn't affect my karma, if you like. But if I wanted to hurt you, it would. Now, that aligns 100% with neuroplasticity, as you can appreciate, right? So when I'm in um, anger, in um, ill intent, if you like, then that forms my brain for that. And I will get more of that because the brain forms through what we pay attention to. Whereas an innocent, if you like, accident is not, hasn't got the trained wicked uh, pathways, if you like, right? And I think, so I think that's a a, quite an important distinction. I know that in our culture, that there was um, this sort of statement by somebody saying, why does why does bad things happen to good people? And I think we have um, messed things up in a way. We've collapsed things to not being separate around life that just happens and shit happens. And there seems to be no, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no heart. Life has no heart. And then there's how we respond to it. And the way I see it is that the way we respond to it is our karma. Like I, I can't control whether, you know, I'm going to be hit by a bus. That has nothing to do with my karma the way I see it. Right? Yep. I know others would disagree, but yeah, that's how I see it. And so if somebody is really nasty to you, like mm-hmm. on a basic level, somebody's really nasty to you, you have a choice about how you respond to that. Indeed. You can either respond in a way that's aggressive or angry or bite back or um, is a bit hateful, or you can mm-hmm. respond in a different way of um, 
calm calm wishing them well yeah right and knowing well, that you set you free yeah exactly and of course from a scientific point of view that becomes your karma yeah doesn't it you know yeah, yeah. because you're cultivating ease and grace so how has buddhism changed your life I think it it has a context. It provides a context. So going through difficult times, uh, rather than sort of um, drown in the drama, I now have a context of going. Interesting how you're going to find ease with this one, Charlotte. <laughs> right. Um, so interesting when things bubble up around how what what is going to come up in the context of this. Um, knowing that you know life is a consciousness journey and it is ultimately about cultivating ease and grace and peace and if we're lucky enough to have a little taste of um, bliss or nirvana if you like right but that's not to strive for that but rather that from a contented calm mind we get those little what we call satori's in buddhism that's a zen uh, expression we get these enlightenment moments that just go pop <laughs> and we're just in total awe um you know melting moments if you like right yeah. um and everything then kind of melts away as being insignificant compared to that and so meditation is a key part of practicing buddhism mm -hmm. so can you just explain a little bit around that about the importance of meditation and the benefits so you you would have noticed it was part of the the two elements of the of the uh, well kind of all of them if you like but the eightfold path yes. con right concentration and right mindfulness um, and knowing that how easily we get distracted that we need to um, cultivate uh, a and getting to know the mind um, and that is through meditation so we're sitting in 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 stillness so we're out of the reactive we're out of stress and we're just observing how the mind tends to operate that's why you know so often when I'm doing um, sessions people go oh I can't meditate and you go yeah wherever you're at is where you're at there's no right and wrong you can't do this wrong right so if you close your eyes and you're noticing the breath and you can only kind of do half a breath before the mind's going Meep! that's just how it is right now so that's where you start yeah, I think I can do about five breaths, and well then I. You. <laughs> but it is interesting. I I know the challenge of doing those five breaths, and then my mind starting to wander and go, "Hang on, come back, come back, and focus yes. on your breath again." Yes. And then doing that a little bit, and then going my mind wandering, then coming back again. Beautiful. Are you at a point um, with your meditation that you can meditate for long periods without your mind wandering? No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so much better now. No, no, I'm not at all. Um, what I can do is drop in, if that's, I think that sounds a bit like acid, but, you know, mm. uh, I drop in very, very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, on my walks in the morning, I just walk in awe and sort of like a, with a, an open heart and I just take in the leaves and the sun and the animals and the, and the sensation of walking there. And I can walk, you know, I, I, I then go, then I hear my feet, right? And yeah. then I, I, a thought comes in and I just come back to that. So it's just that, yeah. Yeah. Just a little thing I've noticed um, is that if I'm walking along and, um, you know, I'm deep in thought, I find if I look up as I'm walking along and look at the sky and look at the trees above, my entire feel and mind changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that recently. Mm -hmm. I must have been going through a time where I was kind of ruminating on something and I was out walking and I just looked up and I was like, look at that. It's so beautiful. Leaves, the blue sky, 
and went into this total state of calm. Yeah. Because in that moment, would you say, there's no self. Hmm. You surrender to the awe of, wow. I was like, look at that. Yeah. Look at those trees and leaves. And it was just beautiful. So now I'm trying to to to, to do that as a mm-hmm. bit of a practice walk mm-hmm. and just look up and because we, we as humans have a tendency to walk and we look down look at our feet mm-hmm. <laughs> or look at our phone yes that's right yeah yeah but that's a beautiful practice for you then yeah you know? and there are and and some you know it's the same if we're standing in the blue mountains sometimes we get that you know oh wow isn't it or sometimes we just get i mean the, there was one buddhist practice that says just start looking at a flower just keep looking at it and all the wisdom of the world will appear for you yeah right around impermanence yeah. around the attachment oh please don't change beautiful flower and I want yeah. this moment to last yeah. you know so whatever your bliss window is go for it I love it so what's Zen Buddhism okay so um, the Buddha lived in India and um, as, I, as I think I mentioned nothing was kind of written down for a couple of hundred years um, the, uh, the the sort of the one, if you like, direction of Buddhism is the Theravada um, arm, if you like, and that's where you have um, the Thai forest uh, monasteries, for instance. You have um, the insight meditation. You have the Vipassana. Uh, mindfulness sits in that as well. And an arm of that is also the Tibetan. And then there were others who moved further across to the east, um, to Japan and Korea, and they is they they kind of developed this arm called Zen. Um, it come, came out of Mahayana, so it came out of, of another arm. But eventually, um, one of them was called Zen. And Zen, if you like, the two sort of main arms. I mean, many will say there are more, but I think it's useful to kind of just see it in those two ways. The, the the Theravada one, the the one you know from the Dalai Lama, etc. You can you as soon as you even see the Dalai Lama, I'm sure you see gold and red and bells and colors and flowers, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Zen's the opposite. It's almost like a. It's just simple. Everything's scraped off. Yeah. Um, it's really masculine in its texture, whereas the other was very feminine in its texture. Um, and also, they don't really have many texts per se. Um, the key thing there is meditation. Yeah. It's just meditation. Simplicity. And the key thing there is also about realizing emptiness um, and nothingness, if you like, versus the other is about compassion. Okay. Is that where minimalism comes from? Probably partly. I would yeah. possibly. Um, simplicity. Yeah, simplicity. Um, and seeing that, oh, you know, the worldly things are, are empty in itself. Um, and, and, and for us to realize that, you know, you know that you, you know, when you want a new top and then you, you, you get it. And very quickly you sort of can't even remember the, that wanting it. And you can't remember how it was special and it has no special feeling for you, right? Yeah. Or you have no special feeling for it. So, so that's one of the big things in, uh, well, in Buddhism overall, but certainly in Zen. I, I've trained in both modality so I, I trained in all the mindfulness and all the teachers that sit within that um, but then I also went to, um, to to study Zen in the US and and each each arm will have their teachers so in Zen masters called Roshis um, and and some of the other called Lamas for instance so you'll, yeah. you'll know the different terminologies um, and it was a bit of a shock when I walked into a, a, a Zendo so 
so that's what Sangha is what it's called a community in, in the Theravada and it's called a Zendo in Zen. And I thought it was an army camp. It looked more like an army camp. Wow. Mm, big boots, uh, black, uh, olive green, greys, and and nothing, nothing, just... Um, so none of the richness and the no, gold and the... No. Yeah, it went, because whenever you see the Dalai Lama, you know, he's in these bright robes and... Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And very harsh. It's yep. still very hierarchical. Now, that's just one. I dropped into one area. There are many that are completely non-hierarchical. Um, but, yeah, that was my experience. And it's, it, it's quite harsh in some ways, or it can be, uh, that one I dropped into was. Um, but all very rich in the learning. I mean, just amazing. Yeah. So for somebody who is interested in Buddhism and meditation, what is a great way for them to start, say, start meditating? Yeah. Um, I think a, a really good start is always to go on a retreat. Um, and perha- perhaps not a Vipassana one, um, which can be a little harsh for for people in the beginning, um, but one where it's, you know, a little more gentle perhaps. So a retreat is certainly an option. Find a good teacher. Um, and I would suggest, you know, find a teacher who knows more than just a little bit of mindfulness, who's perhaps, you know, come from yoga or uh, a therapy kind of background. Someone who's re- interested in this uh, or perhaps very highly trained. Um, and also just start with them, uh, their meditation. And then there are some beautiful teachers. I mean, there's Thich Nhat Hanh, who's, who, you know, is an amazing teacher who was um, the teacher of Luther King, for instance, right? Yeah. And he's a little Vietnamese monk, um, exquisite teachings. There's Jack Cornfield, who's amazing as well. There are some beautiful teachers. So grab one of these books and don't rush reading it, you know, chew on it till it kind of starts to get into your cells. Yeah. Um, and, and it might just be a line or two a day that you can go, ah, oh, let me now digest this. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to coming on your retreat that you're holding in a few weeks' time. Oh, I'm so excited Yay. that you are. Yay. Yes. Thank you. So, my friend, mm-hmm. how can people find out more about you? In the Mindfulness Clinic. Right. They can go to uh, www.themindfulnessclinic.com.au. They can also email me, Charlotta, with an E, at themindfulnessclinic.com.au. Um, and lots, there are lots and lots of free um, audios and podcasts. So you can also find me on Mindfulness Alive on both Spotify, um, Apple, and iTunes. And yeah, play with it. Play with it. Because I think... Personally, I think Buddhism is too good to miss it. Well, it's certainly, and I go, I am no expert by any means, but you have taught me so much and it's changed my life and being introduced to mindfulness has changed my life. And it really is a practice and sometimes I fall down. We all do. We all do. You know, it's, and isn't that beautiful? You still have the Buddha nature. It doesn't fall off on your way down, right? <laughs> it's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I was doing a training session yesterday with a, a group of leaders and I had already – one a small part of them had already attended something about a year ago and in the middle of it one of them one of the guys said I just want to say to everybody who's listening I took this on a year ago and it's changed my life I sit now every morning in Canberra outside looking at the trees and the flowers and I do my meditation it's changed my relationships it's changed my family dynamics we do gratitude we connect around the dining table in a different way and when I walk to work it's a whole different experience I thought, ah, oh, isn't that fabulous? Yeah. And I knew a new car would not do that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you, my friend. 
thank you, you for it's coming been a in. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much curious. for coming and sharing that. And I've I've learnt more today, so thank you. I'm glad. Thank Nam- you. Namaste. Namaste, Johnny. <laughs> listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesistercode.com.